How many of you feel like the Christmas season is just crazy busy? I, I mean, it really is uh, when we stop and think about it. How many of you went out Black Friday shopping? Anybody? How many of you stayed at home and just shopped on your computer? Yeah, well, um, I wanted to, but Teresa was like, hey, let's go to the mall. And I'm like, um, how about no? Um, I went to the mall, by the way. Um, but she was like, I don't want to just sit around and, and be bored. So let, let's, let's get out and let's do some shopping. Let's, let's, let's go see what we can find. And I knew what traffic was going to be like when you go to the mall. Now, I have to preface this by saying that we were in Dayton, Ohio. It wasn't here around Stafford. But, uh, and somebody in the first service knew exactly the mall that I was talking about. Um, so they called me a liar because of the traffic. But I dreaded what the traffic was going to be like because it's Black Friday and oh, it's going to be so horrible. And, and so as we get closer, I'm just like, oh, it's going to be horrible. And we pull up and, and we get onto the lane where the mall and all of the shops are. And sure enough, it was like so much easier than Stafford traffic on a normal basis. Um, I mean, for, you know, I remember back in Ohio, I, you know, it was like, oh my goodness, I had to sit at the light for a minute, um, you know, and it was crazy busy, but now, you know, that's just normal everyday traffic here on Stafford. Um, but, uh, then yesterday we went to watch the game at a friend's house and they live down, uh, off of route three. And, uh, after the game was over, we were traveling home. And as we traveled home, I just, the traffic was horrible and there were no accidents. It was just volume of people and Teresa and I were talking about it and, and thankfully it was at least moving but ever so slowly as it was moving Teresa says I understand why people just don't want to get out and they just want to online shop because you have to sit in this traffic to go shopping and it kind of just takes the fun and the joy out of that experience and, and I think a lot of people kind of get into that mindset um, especially around this area but anywhere excuse me, where, you know, just everybody, everything just gets so busy. And, and we try to focus in on Christmas. And we try to focus in on the presents and the gifts and, and, and Jesus and church and all of that. But it seems like it all just gets cluttered together. And I'm sure in, in many of your lives, you feel like the nativity has just been kicked over. It's just been replaced by all of the busyness that, that's going on. And I wonder how many of us are just stressed out, simply stressed out from the fact that we're focusing more on our feelings than on the facts of Christmas. Postmodernism is the prevailing philosophy of our day. And in that philosophy, it says that there is no such thing as absolute truth. So what you believe to be true is true. And what you believe over here to be true is true. And there's no middle ground. Just everybody has their own truth and that's it. And, and we go, wow, that, that's kind of crazy. But there was a, a study done by Barna that said that 53% of evangelical Christians, we are evangelical Christians, 53% of evangelical Christians says that they do not believe in that there is an absolute truth. As evidence, this last week, I, I listened to a one-minute testimonial. It was a young lady explaining her walk with the Lord. And in that one-minute testimonial, she said, I feel four times. I feel was used four times. Once every 15 seconds, 
She said, I feel. There wasn't mention of the Bible. There wasn't mention of God. There wasn't mention of church anywhere in that testimony. Because it's all about our feelings. And and don't get me wrong. We love to to be able to have those feelings. And and when you go to a worship concert, when you you come in here and just the music is is awesome and the message is is awesome and and you're like, yes, I love that feeling. But it also has to be backed up by facts. And so that's what I want us to just dig into and look at here this morning. So here's what we're going to look at. Build your faith on facts, not just feelings. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. Everything's going to be on the screen behind me, but we're going to be in in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and we're going to see that while God used human authors to, to write the Scripture, this is not just some ordinary human book. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, Peter says this, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, all Scripture is inspired. It is inerrant, and it is authoritative. So let's go back to Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. This is what we read. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So let's talk just a, a little bit about the author, the, the person that wrote the book of Luke. Let, let's, let's talk about him. Number one, Luke is the author of Luke. Um, and, and he was a well-respected doctor. Colossians chapter 4 verse 14 refers to him as the beloved physician. He was personally acquainted with the firsthand eyewitnesses. He was personally um, the author of Luke and then the book of Acts. So in Luke and Acts, there's a total of 52 chapters. That makes up about a third of the New Testament that Luke is responsible for. The prologue is written in the most polished Greek in the New Testament, which would make it appealing to the highly educated Gentile reader. Each one of the gospel writers wrote to a certain group of people, and and Luke was very sophisticated, and he was writing to those sophisticated Gentiles. Luke also devotes more space to the birth and infancy of Jesus than any other gospel. Luke also goes out of the way to show the gospel is for every class, nation, race, generation, and gender. Luke uses the word six, uh, sinner 16 times, more than all of the other gospel writers combined. He also refers to Jesus as Savior twice. So, how do we know that any of this is true? Can we have any confidence that Christmas really happened? Can we know with certainty that the Savior has 
come? Is it really possible to have peace and live a holy life in the midst of the busyness and the craziness? Well, I believe that Luke's prologue here in these first four verses, it gives us four facts about our faith. The first one that I want us to look at here is that Christianity is historical. Christianity is historical. We see this in verse 1. It says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us. Luke begins with the word inasmuch. And what he is saying is it conveys an accuracy of the translation. It can be translated as since now. You see, he acknowledges a lot of people have undertaken the task of putting together material about the Messiah. I I love that Luke refers to this as a narrative as well. That's very, very important. He says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative. You see, the reason he uses that word is because he's speaking of historical facts about our faith. Notice that there are not multiple narratives, but one narrative. There are four authors to the gospel, but only one narrative. You see, it would be like if myself and John and Rob and Matt all saw an accident. And we were all on the scene of the same accident, but we're sitting at different locations. And so when the police officer says, what happened... There's only one narrative, there was an accident, but there's a narrative of each person from the way that they saw it and their background and what they saw and the language that they're going to use to be able to tell one story. Different viewpoints bring it all together. One narrative. It's not just a story, it's not just make-believe. It's interesting that Luke uses the phrase, accomplished among us which means that it was performed in the past and was fulfilled fully in front of many people. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Speaking of the history of of Christianity, I don't know about you, but I love history. I love archaeology and the things that we're able to find because of it. Well, experts in Israel have found recently a coin with Pilate's name on it. And while we were over in Israel um, back in 2012, Teresa and I got to see uh, what is known as the Pilate Stone. It actually states that he was the governor, Pontius Pilate was the governor of Rome. There's hundreds of coins. Josephus talks about all of the history of Israel, including Pilate. The Bible itself speaks about it. There really was a Roman governor in Judea at the time of Jesus named Pilate. Recently, archaeologists announced that the discovery of a new clay seal, and on that clay seal is the signature of Isaiah. I I love history. I love archaeology because what it does is it just catches up with what we already knew that is written in the Bible. 
And I love the people that say, you know what? I'm going to set out to prove the Bible wrong. And there's been many of them. And they've set out to prove the Bible wrong. And they said, okay, if this event actually took place, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to dig it up and I'm going to prove that there's nothing there. Do you know what happened? They, they proved that something was there. And they just proved over and over and time and time again, the evidence is there. And it just backs up what we've always had written in our Bibles. You see, because Christianity is historical, we can build our faith on facts, not just feelings. Secondly, Christianity is verifiable. Christianity is verifiable. Look at verse 2. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. The word beginning refers to events surrounding the births of both John the Baptist and Jesus in the first two chapters of Luke's record. In his research, Luke consulted both eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. So let's kind of hover over those two words. Let's start by looking at the eyewitnesses. This refers to someone that has seen something with his or her own eyes. Luke interviewed those who could give firsthand expert testimony. They were eyewitnesses of what had taken place. You see, these people were eager to share what they had seen and experienced. We read this in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 20. For we, can, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Peter and John had been thrown in jail they had been brought before the sanhedrin and they were told hey you need to stop all of this talk about jesus and all this stuff that you're spreading you need to stop it and they said hey you decide what's best for you but this is what we get verse 20 for we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard so awesome Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16 says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, if you know anything about the apostle Peter, Peter kind of messed up a lot. Peter, in some ways, st stood his ground sometimes overspoke, was then kind of cowardly hiding in a corner, called down curses on himself. And, and, and if, if, they were, if it was a cleverly uh, uh, scheme that they had all just designed and put together, if they, hey, let, let's get together and let's write our own story, Peter would be like, hey, um, guys, can we leave that one part out um, Leave that part where I said that he's the Messiah, but let's not talk about what happened on the boat. Well, let's not talk about when he said, get behind me, Satan. Can we leave that part out? And, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that James and John and, and Peter and Andrew would have said, hey, when we were out on the boat, we're fishermen and we're kind of manly. So can we not talk about how we were scared? Let's leave that part out. Hey, at the resurrection or at the crucifixion, um, can we leave out the part where we were hiding in an upper room or in, in a quiet room and had the door locked when the girls went out to do all of the, 
bidding that we should have been doing? Can we leave that part out? See, if it was some cleverly designed scheme, they would have left a lot of that out. Thomas would have said, hey, I'm going to be known as Doubting Thomas. Can we just say that I was in the room when that happened? Because I don't want to be looked at that way. No, we have it firsthand. We have it as history. We have it as being verifiable. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Eyewitnesses. Right there. But then we also have ministers. So if an eyewitnesses, if an eyewitness sees, a minister serves. This is the word for servant or, or literally a subordinate committed to accomplish the commands of a superior. A minister is one who knows he or she is under the authority of an owner. Talking about servants, just to tell you a little bit about it, and, and I didn't mention them at the beginning during the announcements because I, I wanted to talk about them here. Um, two weeks ago, we delivered over 135 boxes to Operation Christmas Child. That is you being servants, being ministers. On that Sunday evening two weeks ago, we had 170 people, over 170 people here to pack those 20,000 meals. That was you being servants, you being ministers, serving the kingdom. The angel tree and the gift cards that you're still being a part of. And again, I encourage you, be ministers, be servants. If you have not taken one of those names, go to the back afterwards. Angel and Tony will be back there. They would love uh, to, to get you connected with uh, helping one of those people that we want to help for Christmas. But that's what it means to be a servant, to be a minister. You see, we can know Christianity is true because it is historical and verifiable. Eyewitnesses have seen and ministers continue to serve to this day. It's the reason that we see such over-the-top generosity. Are you trusting in your feelings or facts of your faith? It's historical, it's verifiable. And number three, it's also orderly. Christianity is orderly. The Bible tells us everything is moving according to God's plan. So let's drill down on verse 3. It says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. As a careful physician trained in noting every detail, he followed all things closely. The definition of this, the meaning of this, is he attended carefully and accurately. Luke was a reputable historian who did deep research. He conducted intensive interviews to put his narrative together. He interviewed eyewitnesses. He pulled together from other material. You see, as a doctor, he was observant, thoughtful, and persuasive. As a scientist, he was accustomed to handling data and details as he crafted it all together into a compelling narrative that we see as the gospel according to Luke. Incidentally, if you have a skeptical and scientific mind, this is the book for you. 
If you want to really dig into the life of Jesus, the birth of Jesus and the life of Jesus and, and what he did, this is the book for you to read through. You see, after compiling his research, he wrote an orderly account. The, the word for orderly means consecutively in connected order. This would not be me that was writing this book. I would be more like the Gospel of Mark, who I think Mark kind of had ADD. He said, and Jesus was over here, and then Jesus went over here, and then Jesus did this, and then Jesus was over here. It's also the shortest book, Mark is. So I encourage you, if you have ADD like me, read the Gospel of Mark. 16 chapters. It's an easy read. I encourage you to read it, to go through it, to be able to see. If you want to read it from a, a, a more Jewish perspective, I want you to go to the Gospel of Matthew and read it from the Gospel of Matthew. But find what fits for you. And then eventually, I do want you to put them all together, to read all four of the Gospels. Because what you'll see is one narrative that comes out of all four of them. In Acts chapter 11, verse 4, we read this. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. Friends, the Bible is fact. It is not fiction. What's contained in this book is inspired. It is inerrant. It's not legend, but the actual life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Luke's purpose was to present Jesus in all of his fullness focusing on historical verifiable and orderly facts so that his readers could know that his account was absolutely accurate and rem remarkably reliable you see oral history can change but what is written and recorded it endures so as i stated at the beginning both the the gospel of of luke and Acts is written by Luke, and he writes to one in particular person, a man by the name of Theophilus. I want you to jump over to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This is what we read. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So it's, it, it's likely that Theophilus was a, a distinguished official because governmental leaders like Felix and, and Festus were given the, the name most excellent. And that's what we read in, in Luke chapter 1. We read most excellent Theophilus. You see, his name means God lover. It means friend of God. As a believer, perhaps he was worried if Christianity was really true or not. It may have been that Theophilus was seeing the persecution that was happening to Christians, and he was, he was wondering why all of this was taking place. Maybe there were some doubts that Theophilus was, was really struggling with, so Luke wrote down the history of what took place at the birth of Jesus all the way through, and then he writes down the history of the church in the book of Acts so that Theophilus could understand it. It wasn't just about his feelings. It was about putting together the facts. You see, we can build 
our, our, our faith on facts, not feelings, because Christianity is historical, verifiable, and orderly. Because of that, we can be certain about what we believe. That's our fourth point. Christianity is certain. We don't have to focus on, on our feelings or conjure up some kind of, of seasonal sentiment to be able to see this. Now, we, we love to enjoy things, and, and we love to really live on our feelings, right? And, and I'm not just talking about the, the feeling of, of Christmas time or, or Thanksgiving. I'm not just talking about the feeling of when you come to church. I mean, we love to be on that emotional high, though. I mean, it's great. It, it, again, if worship is just awesome and the message is on point, we're like, oh, man, I, I, I feel it, and it feels great. If we've been to a convention or we go to a, a Christian concert, man, you just feel like you're, you're on that mountaintop. And in life, it's the same way. When your team wins the big game, man, you feel like you're on that mountaintop. When things are going great in your family, you feel like, man, I'm living on the mountaintop. Everything's going great. You go to Thanksgiving dinner and there's no politic talk and you're like, man, it's awesome. But what's the problem with that? We can't always live on the mountaintop, can we? No. There's going to be times that we're going to be in the valley because our kids really aren't living right. We get the call from the doctor. It's cancer. We get the call that a loved one has passed away. We get the call that our job is going to be transferring. We're going to be moving again. And while we would love to live up here, there's going to be times that you come in and you're just not feeling it because Justin played three new songs this morning and I just didn't like it. Well, here's the problem. It's not about you anyways, but we'll get into that one later. Um, but there's going to be times where we're just not feeling it our team's gonna lose the big game and we come way down right that's why we can't just focus in on our feelings we have to have the facts that back it up and christianity is certain verse 4 says this that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught this word certainty means to know fully and thoroughly, to become fully acquainted with. When John wrote his account of the life of Jesus, he wanted his readers to be certain that they could be saved. I want you to listen to what John has to say in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. C.S. Lewis summarized the reliability and the revelance, or oh my, I did, did it again, anyways, of our faith this way. C.S. Lewis said this, Christianity, if false is of no importance. And if true, of an infinite importance. The only thing that it cannot be 
is moderately important. If Christianity isn't true, it's, oh well. If it's true, it needs, it needs to be of utmost importance. But if you believe, as I believe, that Christianity is true, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, then it must be of highest importance in your life. That's where it must be. And I'm glad that it is silent no longer. Shortly after, in the Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah ends, God spoke through the prophet Malachi. He called the people out of their sins. But after the book of Malachi, God goes silent. No more prophets. No more word. Heaven is silent for 400 years. Until God breaks through. And he sends his angel, starting by speaking to Zechariah. And we're so fortunate that God broke through all of the crazy chaos that was happening. This is what we read in in Luke chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah, whose name is Jehovah, has remembered, was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and she and you shall call his name John. God then breaks through again through another angel, or through an angel again, this time to Mary in verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Does God ever seem silent to you? Does it ever seem like you're just not hearing him? I have five truths that you can remember. The first one is God's silence does not mean that he's inactive. God's silence doesn't mean that he's not working in your life that he has all of a sudden just went silent. Because while God was silent, even for those 400 years, he was still working. God's timeline can also be trusted because he is weaving his ways and his will for his glory. And God can do anything. Never forget that. God can do anything. And God sent his son to save us. My final point, God expects a response from us. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke recorded this statement from the lips of Jesus in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Luke wrote to one individual named Theophilus so that Theophilus could know the truth and the certainty of the gospel. Build your faith on facts, not just feelings. And while he wrote just to one person, we're able to read what he wrote. And it can still break through our lives as well. The Bible says that we've 
all been bad. We've all messed up. We're all like sheep have went astray. And Isaiah 53 verse 6 puts it plainly. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So a couple of weeks ago, I threw a question out on Facebook. And I asked you, what was the best part of, of Christmas? Was it the presents, the cookies, the decorations, jingle bells? What was it? I just took several of them and several of you, you answered kind of the same things, but I took several of them and I put them down here. The lights and the decorations, that, that was a lot for a lot of people. Family. The kids' faces on Christmas morning. The perfect gift. The music. The best part is when it's over if you work retail. I loved that one. Family traditions. People are nicer. They're more giving. The energy people have is the desire to do good. Reflecting on the real meaning. The best gift of all. Jesus. See, the best part of Christmas is just that. It's Jesus. I like to think of the word Christmas this way. Christmas. Christ came into our mess. The first night wasn't calm. The first night wasn't really that silent or quiet. There was hustle and bustle on that first night as the shepherds were coming and going and people were coming and going and, and the, the, all of the animals were making all kinds of noise. But, but while it wasn't always calm, while it wasn't always quiet it was one thing it was peaceful it was peaceful because that night the prince of peace was born jesus wants to enter our crazy busy lives he wants to bring peace into your life and he can do that if you will just allow him to speak into your For some of you, the feeling of, of, of this season is what really gets you going. It's what really helps you out, and, and that's great. For some of you, it, the feeling just doesn't do it for you, but you need the facts. I need the evidence. Luke is your book. And if you want some more information on that, come and see me. And, and I, I've got a lot of great books that will help you with that evidence someone here this morning maybe Jesus has broken through and you need to talk about what it means to give your life over to him I also know that this Christmas season can be hard for some people it's difficult because maybe you've lost a loved one maybe there is one of those diagnoses that have come your way maybe it's a financial 
problem, job, or whatever it might be. You need prayer in your life. You need someone to talk to through it. I'm going to be in the back. and Elders will be in the back. And we would love to talk with you, pray with you. But whatever decision you need to make, whatever, whatever you need in your life, will you make it as we continue our worship? Please stand.